Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Welcome, Mr. George Gilliam. You're the man, dude. You are the man. Here. God bless you, Pastor. <clears throat> you know, um, I thank God for this opportunity. And wow, you just told everybody about our conversation in the call, huh? <clears throat> well, just to update you guys what happened, um, a lot of times people often want to connect, whether it's over breakfast, lunch, sometimes even over dinner. Um, and when you have done 25 years of your life in prison from the ages of 16 to 41, time is one thing I don't have time to waste. So if you want to connect with me, we're going to do it or we're not. And you either care or you don't. Because I want to connect with people who really care about people who don't have opportunities or lack thereof. And so, <clears throat> the reason why that is so dear to my heart, I want to tell you guys a little bit about myself, and then I'm going to let you guys know what uh, God has called me to do. How does that sound? I am born and raised from a little town called New Orleans. How many of y'all ever rode a streetcar? If you got on a streetcar, you was right in my neighborhood. I'm from Carrollton. And there's a part in Carrollton called Hollygrove. Hollygrove. That's where I'm from, Apple and Eagle. And um, growing up from the ages of zero to, zero to seven, my life was perfect. My dad was alive. He had his own business. I had too many brothers to count, but I knew I had two sisters. And my dad did his best to make sure we all loved and connected with each other. Unfortunately, my dad passed away at the age of 40 due to a massive heart attack, and I was seven years of age. And to this day, I believe that was my greatest loss to this day. Being raised by a single mom in the inner city is a tall, tall, tall challenge. Because my mom worked a lot of hours, and so trying to raise her baby boy inside of a violent environment, you were taught things if somebody hits you, you do what? Hit them back. Y'all was taught that too? Just messing with y'all. Then you're taught stuff like, <clears throat> if a person is bigger than you, you do what? Oh, y'all ain't got that part, huh? You pick up a stick. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Then a bottle. Then you find something to break. But my mom is four foot eleven, and she has the heart of a five-star general. Crying was not allowed in my home. Laziness was not allowed. And I remember literally her coming out in slippers and watch me fight profusely for like hour and a half, two hours, until she felt that I had given my all. So from the age of 17 to 13, at 13 and a half, it was me and mom. I was a straight A student, just wanted to do well in school, um, worked very hard, loved sports, and life was okay. My mom worked very hard. Then I guess mom got lonely and mom got a boyfriend. And that is when life changed as I knew it. This was not any type of boyfriend. He was a very selfish type of man who wanted total control. And when things didn't get his way, my mom became a punching bag. Now remember, mom did teach me, right? Remember what mom taught me. Mom taught me this. And so one day I came home, it was batting practice. And I still had my baseball bat. And I saw my mom with a black eye. And I had this revelation. 
I said, well, I couldn't hit the ball today in batting practice, but I believe I can hit him. And I took the bat, and I started whipping him with the bat. I took a stand for my mom. Once he came out the hospital, he gave my mom a choice. It's either me or him. I wish I would have could tell you guys my mom chose me, but she didn't. At that moment, I became homeless at 14 years of age. I was thrust out into the streets of New Orleans, and there were three friends that occasionally would let me sleep at their homes. One guy named was Karanji Gilbert, Kendall Woodard, and Jeffrey Alice. I say it was because they're all dead. They died to gun violence. <clears throat> so here it is. I'm on the streets trying to go to school. And sometimes I'm starving, right? With no outlet, I had no idea how vulnerable I was to the drug trade. So at this time, crack cocaine was booming. And lo and behold, yours truly discovered that I was gifted and talented at selling crack cocaine. And for the drug dealer who had a lot of crack, Lil George was his dream come true. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I went to school. Hey, I'm going to give all my drugs to George. I got robbed maybe three or four times. And then one day, one of these drug dealers gave me a gun. And he said, George, the next time somebody pull up on you, you better handle your business. So remember, it went from a fight, a stick, a brick, to a gat. That's what we called them back then. The drug trade, I found myself constantly escalating, going up, going up, going up. And the higher you go up into selling drugs, the more dangerous it gets. The stakes get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you're almost kind of like, Ugh, but I won't. Ugh. Long story short, April 23rd, 1994, I partook in a very, very horrible act. <sighs> On that particular late night, a young man lost his life and another was fatally wounded. On April 26, 1994, I turned myself in for a first degree murder at the age of 16. And it was crazy because the, for three days I couldn't sleep. All I thought about was what happened it was like I came back to my senses, church. I was like, what happened? I'm like, what am I doing? My first, no, what am I doing? And it was like, I said, I have to be living a nightmare. I have to go to school tomorrow. I, I have to go to basketball practice later on. And my reality was, no, George, you are locked up for a first-degree murder. On November 6, 1997, I was tried and convicted of a 10-2 jury for a second-degree murder, which the penalty was life to DOC with no possibility of parole. April 13, 1998, I found myself arriving at Louisiana State Penitentiary, bitter, angry, and just dangerous. When you go from the age of 14 to Orleans Parish Prison at 16, now you're in Angola 
at 20, what other choice you have? I'm not a big man now. So could you imagine me at as a teenager? So yeah, I have some knife wounds. It was called survival. And I had never heard the message of Jesus Christ because me, I thought God hated me. I lost my dad at seven. My, and even in the hood, if you know, your mom is still left. In the hood, the, the single black mom is the glue. And for my mama to turn her back on me, I was like, man, God hate my guts. Then I'm in prison and I'm like, man, I'm, you're going to give me this much time for. So here it is. I'm in Louisiana State Penitentiary, Angola at 20. So, being transparent, guess what I did? I continued to live the way I knew how to live. With no help and no support, immediately, I knew what I'm going to do. I'm great at selling drugs. And I kept it going. But something happened when I started back selling drugs. And I never stopped. I was just selling more because Angola at the time had opportunities for me to be able to get drugs and it was crazy. And the drugs opened me up to gambling. And so I would find myself at the poker table. And, and the currency back then, the main one was camel cigarettes. So I had boxes and boxes of camels. I mean, I was just living my best life, man. I was balling out of control. I had like six boxes full of camels. And I got off on just seeing me take a guy's camels and seeing a guy having to, you know, go to canteen for me. And I'm like, wow, this is my life now. I'm back. I'll just strive to be the king of Angola. That's what I'll do. Got it all figured out. Something happened in 1999, though. I started having dreams. I had never dreamed before. Never. Never once dreamed. But in 1999, I was having these dreams of me preaching. And I would wake up in a cold sweat and be like, I got to be going crazy because I didn't even know a scripture. But in my dreams, I knew the entire Bible. I'm talking about I was quoting them scriptures. I was spitting them. them and so I wake up. And, and so for the Christian, you know, I respected those guys. But I was more attracted to the brothers of the Islamic faith. You know, we play chess. You know, we talk about black power. You know, we talked about the man. You know, this my cup of tea. You know, so I was on the verge of being converted to Islam until I realized I couldn't have pork. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so the guy who was mentoring me was a guy named Farouk. So Farouk was talking about the man. Okay, I'm with you on the man. Black I'm with you on all this stuff here. But when he started talking about the poke, I was like, oh, it's come again? <laughs> and I remember this. I said, well, I'm going to hold off on this one right here. Because I love pork so much when I don't have none, I pork my mouth out. I love me some pork. So I believe God gave me a desire for pork to make sure I didn't become a Muslim. I'm serious. I was all in. They were checking the boxes. But when it came down to the pork, I said, oh. But all this time, church, I'm having these dreams. I'm having dreams every night about me preaching. I'm talking about 99, 2000. So I said, man, I need to go see somebody. I need to get some help because these dreams are just blowing up. I just got to get help. So 2001 come and I'm still having these dreams so much so I would try to stay up all night gambling so I don't go to sleep because when I go to sleep, I would have the dream. And I remember it was in April of 2001. I went to visit. And that was this guy with a flat top with a thick mustache. He said, excuse me, young man, can I have a word with you? I said, yeah, 
went on the side, we talked. He said, listen, thus said the Lord. And I look. He said, you know the, the man you've been having the dreams about preaching? And literally, it was like everything in me just dropped to the ground. He said, yeah, you've been having these dreams. He's preaching. He's sweating. He knows the Bible. But he wakes up and he doesn't know the Bible. And I was just numb all around. I was like, oh, my God. This got to be a dream. <laughs> and he said, thus said the Lord, you are about to become him. And he left. Never seen this man again to this day. Never seen him again. Went back and sat down, and I'll be very transparent. <clears throat> I was in the process of trying to figure out how to get some drugs into the prison. But at that time, I really couldn't because I was like, man, what in the world just happened? So immediately, I go back to the dormitory, and the next day, I was locked up. They just scooped me up. And I was like, for what? And then, typical from streets of New Orleans, oh, man, they ratting on me, blah, 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 that type of stuff there. But I didn't know Jesus had set me up. Hmm. See, one of the things we must understand about being in the kingdom, the real realm is not this one. The real realm is the spirit realm. The real you is not you. So who I thought I was, I really wasn't. God was actually showing me who I was. And I couldn't understand that. Wait a minute. How could I be here but yet be that? And, and one thing I've learned about God is that God has a unique way of ordering your steps because the Bible says the steps of a good man have been ordered by the Lord so I went into the cell as somebody who didn't know a scripture didn't know God didn't know Jesus I left out a born again believer now watch this I just didn't come out talking about I'm glad to be a Christian oh no uh-uh. I was on 10. I was telling people about Jesus. I was telling people about Jesus who saves and who delivers. And, and I'm talking about it was a honeymoon. And I'm talking about I didn't have an impure thought. I don't know for how long. All I did was pray and read the Bible every chance I got. And then I had another dream. I was in the field. I said, oh my, no, God, you ain't about to send me to the field. I got a good job. <laughs> a week later, guess where I was? In the field. And in the field is when God brought me out of a comfort zone and put me on the potter's wheel. And there he started to cultivate me. And I'm like, wait a minute. This happened to me. I didn't do nothing. This happened to me. I didn't do nothing. This happened to me. I didn't do nothing. But when God has a plan for your life, it's no longer about you. It's always about him in the kingdom. And God has strategic, he strategically knows how to position you and set you directly where you need to be at. So here it is. I went from the country at Cam J. Bass and now I'm in the main prison, which is like New York City. And then I had another dream. I had a dream. I was getting my GED. And I was like, they have school up here? I woke up, asked somebody, said, how did I get in school? Got in school, got my GED in like 13 days. But I still was in the field. Had a dream. I was a fry cook. Lo and behold, I was a fry cook. 
I said, man, God, talk to me, man. I'm telling you, man, God is awesome, man. I'm telling you, I started paying attention to my dreams. I had me a little composition notebook with my dreams, wrote them, writing them down and whatnot. And so I was like, well, wait a minute, God, how am I going to start preaching? Then all of a sudden, there was a guy named Roscoe, old guy named Roscoe. He said, George, you know where you should be at? I said, well, he said you should be in a seminary. I said, they got a seminary too? I said, you seriously got yeah, man, the Bible college. You go to Bible college. Man, that's where you need to be at. But God bless you, give me a dream. When it took me a nap, guess what happened, church? <laughs> I had a dream. <laughs> go to the Bible college. Now, keep this in mind. This was the first time I ever sat in front of a white person for an interview. I went in front of this guy named Dr. John Robson. Man, I was so nervous. I was scared to death. My hands were sweaty. Because he asked me, he said, why should I let you in God's seminary? And I said, well, God, so much for that plan. Because I'm lost for words. I don't know how to talk to this guy. I'm intimidated. But lo and behold, my older brother was to my left. He said, who is that guy? I said, oh, that's, that's my brother. He said, what better person to ask me, answer that question than him? I said, oh, man, I'm dead. He gone. He's an atheist almost. My brother came in, and immediately I just thought about Aaron and Moses. He told my story, and I was like, who are you? And the coldest part about it, I didn't even have all the credentials. And so he said, man, I don't know why I'm going to do this. But God wants you in this seminary. So, I'm in God's seminary. So, how am I I'm going to start preaching? Because remember, the preaching is what got me into all this. So immediately, God told me to join the biggest church Angola had. This church was the, it's still the biggest church. It's called United Methodist Men Fellowship. It's now pastored by Ron Christopher Higgs, an awesome, awesome man of God. They have more preachers and teachers there and ministers per capita. Than, I'm, I mean, they have guys that'll make that chair say amen. I mean, they are phenomenal. So what happened was, I went there, right? And I said, yeah, man, I'm in, I'm in this church, man. Church, awesome. Great people, man. I mean, good opportunity. I mean, it's awesome. Worship, great praise. I mean, you guys will love their worship. Awesome, awesome. Then one day, the pastor come to me and said, hey, man. I said, what? What's up, pastor? What you need? He said, man, go open up the service. I said, what you talking about? He said, go get the mic and call the people together. I said, Huh? He said, man, just be obedient. <laughs> Literally, long story short, this place became, I became such an, an effective orator and preacher and teacher there that people thought I was the pastor. I mean, this man of God just really relinquished and was like, hey, man, just, you know, preach, teach, go do your thing, man, just... And I was like, I'm preaching on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm talking, I did a, a series on the sovereignty of God, the kingdom of, I mean, all prayer, fasting, all type of stuff. It was just like, a, a, I mean, just, I'm like, wow, I've become him. But then I had another dream. <clears throat> I had a dream. I was standing in front of men and women, and I was in free world clothes. But I was what you call 930.8. I was bored, according to the Anti-Terrorism Act. That means that there was no way back into the courts unless a new law came into existence or newly discovered evidence, which I didn't have either. And so they said, well, George, 
there's another way out. You have to get your $10,000 and try to go on a pouring board. And immediately the Spirit of God just spoke this to me. Trust me. Trust me. Just like that. I was like, what? So I remember I was going to the dome. And immediately God said, worship me. I said, worship. Worship me now. I got on the side of my bed, bed 60. And literally lift up my hands in the present and just start worshiping. I'm talking about, I, and as I, I, I just started worshiping. And then God would wake me up 3 o'clock in the morning and tell me to worship. And I was like, so I'm like, my friends thought I was losing my mind. They understood you praying to them, but not worshiping on the side of the bed. And so what happened was I was going down the walk. And my God, the Islamic guy, he saw me. He said, man, what's going on? He said, he gave me a nickname, called me Crucial because of chess. I would give him Crucial moves. He said, man, you Crucial. So we were talking. He said, man, where you at in court? I said, man, I'm bored. He said, man, you better go to the law library. I said, man, you know what he right? I was going to give me a pass. And immediately the Spirit of God said, trust me. Come on, God. Are you serious? Man, uh, you. So, fast forward. I remember I prayed. I said, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. I want to know your voice. I want to know it. I'm telling my God, I want to know it. So, I was in worship. And there was a guy named Pastor Gary Norris. And God spoke to me and said, tomorrow ask him what does he want from the canteen I said ask him what he wants from the canteen that can't be God <laughs> so after service that Saturday morning I said hey pastor how you doing hey man what's up I said man this is going to sound crazy I said man God told me to ask you what you want from the canteen and the guy started weeping profusely because he was praying to God for canteen. I said, wait a minute. I heard from God. I, I said, what? Well, this stuff works. <clears throat> Go to the canteen. I saw a purse. God said, buy the purse and put it in the bag. I said, now what type of message just go send in a massacred prison? I'm getting this guy canteen and I give him a purse. And guess what God said? Trust me. I put the purse at the bottom of the bag. <laughs> True story. When I left it at the gate with the sergeant, told him what it was. He looked at it for make sure there was no contraband. Immediately, Pastor Gary came, got it. I left. And everybody said, George, George, Pastor Gary, looking for you, George. I said, oh, man, I got to explain to Pastor about the purse, man. I'm like, oh, man, I, you know I mess around like that, man. I'm like, so I got one of my partners with me. I said, man, look, this is what I did, man. He's like, George, why you put a purse in a man bag? I was like, man, I heard from God. He said, man, you going too far with this Jesus stuff, man. Like, I said, man, but let the guy know, man, I'm strong, get down. Like, so, like, we gonna, so we go to the fence. Pastor Gary is crying profusely. I said, oh, man, I heard the pastor, man. I'm like, oh, man. So he said, man, man, who are you? I said, man, look, pastor, I'm sorry, man. So we talking through the fence. He said, no, man. He said, you wouldn't believe this. I went to the business shade last Saturday. My daughter saw a purse, and she said, daddy, get me a purse. He said, man, this morning I prayed and asked God for a purse. So I said, wow. Woo, that was a close one. <laughs> 2012, I was at the rodeo. And they were looking for me, the wardens and everybody. I had no idea that there was a law that came into existence. There were attorneys from Illinois, New York, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles that was specifically wanting to meet with George Gillum. 
<clears throat> we met at the rodeo, and they said, we have come to get you home. I said, wait a minute. You mean to tell me I didn't have a lawyer, didn't have money for a lawyer, I never filed anything in the court, I never went to the law library, and God, you sent lawyers? Fast forward, long story short, April 26, 2019, approximately 25 years from the day I turned myself in, I walk out to Louisiana State Penitentiary as a free man. <clears throat> you may say, what happened? I met a man by the name of Jesus. And something you said, do you know that your plans and your methods are nothing until you relinquish your all to Jesus? And, and I, what I love more than anything is that while God was showing me who I was, I was dying to who I thought I was supposed to be. And so the essence of becoming what God has ordained for you to be is simply dying. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said in the 12th chapter of John, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, he said it remains alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And I sat back and I think about how could God take a juvenile, broken, delinquent, bitter delinquent, and literally bring him to the heights of the pinnacle of Louisiana State Penitentiary? Well, literally, if you wanted to go home, guess what happened? You had to come see me. If you wanted to get programming, you had to come see me. And the whole time while all that was going on, church, God was just setting me up. So prison was not prison if you catch my drift. It was actually training ground. And I tell people, and they're like, I'm, I'm serious because when I think about those 25 years, I'm like, I did them, but I'm like, man, it seemed like I was going to school. I was being trained. I was being equipped. I was working. It was like, oh, I'm like, so, and then, so this brings me back to my point now, right? How in the world I come home April 26, 2019, right? <clears throat> and I connect with people that Angola made me more ready for jobs and careers than they are who've never committed a crime. Something is not right with that picture. It wasn't the fact that these people are not good people. They have yet to get the opportunity. So Angola provided me opportunity. They provided me opportunities. I was able to get a, a, a certif certified in telecommunications, NCCR certified, get a college degree culinary degree, serve safe. All those things came to me. It didn't cost me anything but time and studying and, and, and good behavior. Only to come home and we live in a city when I sit back and I hear people talk about crime, right? I hear people talk about gun violence, right? Do you know what that's directly connected to? It's called the P word. Poverty. You know why I started selling crack cocaine? Not because I was a bad kid. And I started selling crack cocaine because it was the only job I could get in order to feed myself. There's a study that was conducted in Philadelphia with the state, with the University of Pennsylvania. What they did was, due to their crime, the violence, they started, they did a lottery system and they started buying the lots, right, and started renovating them. And guess what happened in those areas? 
gun violence and crime went down 29%. The reason why if you go across Florida and you go into North Baton Rouge and you ask yourself, man, why is it the crime is the way it is? There are so many vacant lots. There are so many abandoned homes. It is a breathing ground for crime. It is a breeding ground for drugs. You ever sat back and thought about it and said, wait a minute, why in the world do these guys drink so much? Why do they get high so much? Why do they do this so much? Because it's an attempt to try to escape the hell. So and until we start to invest into people, into places, guess what's going to happen? Crime is going to continue to incubate in our lower income areas. And we'll see it on the news. We'll look at it on the news and be like, wow, that's sad. You know, I have to do this because the Bible said give honor what honor is due. Last year I met a couple and they were telling me about something that they wanted to do to give opportunities to people with disadvantages, people who were coming home with convictions. And I listened to them, and I was like, oh, that's cute, that's sweet. But I realized that they were serious. And like Pastor Landon said, I'm that one person, you gonna know where I stand at on anything. I'm not gonna, I don't have nothing to hide. That couple over there, Ty and Shona, right there, they have spearheaded this charge with going into crime-infested, poverty-stricken communities with giving people opportunities. I'm not talking about a job at the jack-in-the-box. I'm talking about something you can put, put, a, put a uniform on, you feel proud, you have a career. You have a 401k. You have insurance. These are things we should want for everybody in our community. And by the grace of God, we have discovered one way how we can do that. And that is going into those places, connecting with those folks, listening to those folks. And then asking ourselves, how can we help these folks? And then on the other side, connecting with other people with resources and asking them, hey, will you help this person? This past week, there's a, an attorney in town who is super fired up about this initiative, who has taken upon himself to help these guys or gals, whoever wants to fill out their Twit card because then they can potentially get a plant job, a better opportunity. That's, that's, that's just one way. So my appeal to the body of Christ is that if we gradually just take one part of ownership of something like this, do you, could you imagine how much good we can do? We can start to chip away at crime and poverty. And, and you know what I've learned? Guess what's going to happen when those people get their careers? Guess what they're going to do? Say it, say it again. Give back. Do you know why I live in a 70805? Because I want to give back. People help me, so I only want to help people. I would not be where I am if it wasn't for the body of Christ. When I went on the parole board, the church was with me. The church was with me. Can I tell you how much the church was with me? When I was released, Pastor, the church had the audacity to come inside the prison and watch me sign my name, my papers, and then walk outside the gates of Louisiana State Penitentiary. And if you go on April 26, 2019, the person who signed, signed George Terrence Gillum out is a guy by the name of Bill Barkus. Because I had no family. 
but if it were not the church. See, when, I, when a person say, well, George, how can we correct this? I say, man, his name is Jesus. And I'm not saying it figuratively. I'm saying it literally because I met a man by the name of Jesus. And he did everything. I never filed a writ. I never went to the law library. All I did was just pursue Jesus. When I saw that David would not take the throne of Israel until he got the presence of God. I say, what is it about the presence of God that that way it was housed at the fertile, the, the barren woman was starting to have children. I say, what is it about the presence of God that, that David was just, he was just, I mean, David was obsessed with the presence of God. And then God brought me back to the place of worship. When we worship, we invoke the presence of God in our life. Do you know what Baton Rouge needs? The presence of God. I tell this to people all the time. What the city of New Orleans failed to do, Jesus got it right. And I am telling you now, when we worship, that's why I'm so big on connecting to people who worship. It's something about when you just worship. And it's amazing that when Jesus pulled up in the fourth chapter of John, he had a conversation with the Samaritan woman. Guess what the conversation was about? Worship. And, and, and I thought about the ten lepers, right? When nine of them left. And one came back and he did what? Worshipped. When he worshipped, Jesus said, was there not ten? Was there nine more of you? And he said, because of your worship, you become whole. Do you know what that meant for that leper? That meant that if he had lost his ear throughout the process, his ear throughout the process, his ear came back. That meant if his nose fell off, that means his nose came back. That meant if his wife had abandoned him because of his condition, she came back. That meant whatever job or career he had, that meant that when Jesus said, you have become whole because of your worship. Can I tell you a secret? Do you know what makes this particular ministry church special? You guys worship us. And Jesus said, now the time has come that them that worship must worship in spirit and in truth listen every time you see the body of Christ begin to worship and crowd and connect to an almighty God guess what you're going to see you're going to see change you're going to see the prophetic move do, do you know why you guys heard from God you started worshiping when you start to worship the, 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 the heavenly realm opens up you start to see you start to hear and then my favorite word, you start to dream. <laughs> and when you start to dream, then you start to experience. Literally, I had my left shoulder, my rotator cup torn. And you know what Jesus said? Asked me to heal it. And guess what he did? He healed it. I remember I had lost my I had lost the key. I had lost the hobby craft order. It was very important. I had lost it. And, and God said, ask me to send an angel to go get it for you. So I did. God took a guy by the name, his name, his nickname in the street is called Crazy. Because he literally was like, he was crazy. Crazy was going dump the trash into the dumpster and lo and behold at the bottom of one bag he saw this yellow paper so crazy dumped out all the trash just to get this yellow paper he got the yellow paper with one key that I was looking for inside of the paper 
And he walked directly up to me and said, excuse me, brother George. I said, hey, man, what you got? I, and I called him crazy. That's what he got. I called him crazy. I said, what you got, crazy? He said, man, does this belong to you? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this stuff worked. The moral to the story is whenever you begin to think that God is not real, please call me. I have a ton of evidence to prove to you that God is real, that he's a healer, he's a provider, he's a sustainer. And, and, and so... I want to let you guys know that if you guys want to see change and impact lives, let's hook up. But if you want to stay with inside these cozy walls, let's not hook up. Because me, stand up, CJ. Stand up, Kevin. Where Kevin went? He must have went to the bathroom. <clears throat> Literally, and I'm not, that's going to go Kevin right there. I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but serving the folks in the inner city is my mountain. And I once heard a man of God once said, he said, you have never lived until you have found a mountain to die on. I now know what he's talking about. God bless y'all. Wow. How awesome is that? How many of you are ready to storm through the wall <laughs> and do it right now? It's so good. Um, hey, we just believe in the power of the testimony. Uh, the book of Revelation says the power of the testimony uh, basically releases God to actually do it again. I doubt any of us want to go to prison for 25 years. That's not what I'm asking for. But how many of you just felt like a spark of like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm dry or I'm really not bought in right now? Is that anybody other than me, Pastor Landon? This is what I want to do, if you guys are willing to do this. I, I did this last week. I want to do it again. Can we just all, if you're willing and able to just literally get on your knees? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.